We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You guys are going to go out in your lives. You're going to achieve some great successes. And I hope and pray you do. But no matter what the future's going to bring, there's seldom going to be a moment like tonight when you hold it all in your hands. Together! And that's how we're going to win this game. We're going to win it together! We're going to win together! Come on now! Tom Cruise is Stefan Georgievich, a kid whose dreams are bigger than the town he lives in. What are you looking for, Steph? Looking to trade football for an education and still be able to walk. I hate football. I just like to watch number 33 run around in those tight black pants. His future depends on getting out. I mean, now you can't even get a job in that damn mill. You mean that mill over there where your father works? Where your brother works? Where my brother was laid off. You too good for us or something? No, sir. I just want to go to college. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast breaking down the on-field action of your favorite sports movies. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, we've got our first return guest, Fred Siegel, who you all know on Twitter as at Old Takes Exposed. If you're a sports fan on Twitter, he really needs no introduction. If you ever tweet a sports take that doesn't age well, Fred's going to be there to call you on your shit. I uh, had him on a couple weeks back, uh, about a, two months back now, uh, to talk Little Big League back when the podcast was titled Trouble with the Script. But today we're talking All the Right Moves, the high school football movie that came out right as Tom Cruise was starting to ascend in Hollywood. This is one I had to rent on uh, YouTube, actually. It wasn't available on Prime or streaming anywhere that I could tell. Uh, for a movie that came out almost 35 years ago, it actually holds up pretty well, especially you know the young cast they got. For a uh, cast that was, you know, consisted of some borderline unknowns at the time, landing, you know, Tom Cruise, Leah Thompson, Chris Penn, and Craig T. Nelson was a, a pretty good get. One thing about this movie being a little older and not as beloved as some older movies is that with this episode, it's going to be a little different from usual episodes, is that I'm not not going to be able to put as many clips of the movie in, unfortunately. Uh, there's not a whole lot out there, uh, especially on YouTube. So you'll mostly just be stuck uh, listening to me and Fred with not as many clips spliced in between. Fred is really the perfect guest for this podcast. He really gets in depth with analyzing the movie, which is exactly what I want in terms of the mission of this podcast to kind of break down the realism and and the non-realism of these sports movies. Um, so, you know, I really enjoyed having him on. 
If this is your first episode, if you're interested, check out his episode that I mentioned earlier from uh, Little Big League back when uh, we were trouble with the script. One of my favorite episodes and, you know, on one of my favorite movies. A few housekeeping notes. This is your first episode of the pod uh, and you enjoy what you're hearing, please subscribe. You know, look at any previous episodes to see if we've covered any of your favorite movies. If you haven't yet left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to do that as well. Uh, It's something I'd really appreciate. I love hearing what you guys are thinking about the podcast and, you know, any improvements we can make. If you've got any friends that also love sports movies, you know, please make sure to share the podcast and see if we've broken down any of their favorite movies. Finally, uh, the last most important bit of housekeeping, please go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash big screen sports and take a couple minutes to fill out the audience survey for this podcast. I really want to hear your feedback on how we're doing, you know, what we can do to you know, improve this, make this a better listening experience and really grow this podcast. You know, I'm all ears to constructive criticism. I want to make this as an enjoyable listening experience as possible and and really treat these movies the way they deserve to be treated and, and make something that you guys want to hear. So, um, you know, again, that's surveymonkey.com slash r slash big screen sports. I'll link it in the description of the episode. I'll tweet it out at big underscore screen sport. Um, you know, it's only going to take a couple minutes. It can, you know, really help me out to make this a better podcast. But with that, let's get to all the right moves with Fred Siegel. All right, joining me on today's episode, our first returning guest in the history of big screen sports, the keeper of the freezing cold takes, Fred Siegel. Fred, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's great to have you back on. Uh, last time we did Little Big League, one of my, you know, one of my favorite uh, favorite baseball movies. But today we're doing All the Right Moves. All the Right Moves is a 1983 sports drama film. A high school football player desperate for a scholarship and his headstrong coach clash in a dying Pennsylvania steel town. Got a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes and starred a very young Tom Cruise. Uh, we were talking right before we recorded that this movie was filmed before Outsiders and Risky Business came out, but they were released before this movie. So he, when it was filmed, Tom Cruise was, you know, was a nobody or you know, wasn't a star, and then by the time this movie came out in October of 1983, he was a superstar because of Risky Business. Correct. Correct. Well, I think I, I think he was a superstar. I think he was a star after Risky Business, well, notoriety-wise. He was propelled into Hollywood as a notable actor. I think he became like the phenomenon superstar after Top Gun in, in 86. Yeah, that's a fair point. But uh, this movie kind of benefited uh, a couple weeks ago. I did, uh, did Teen Wolf with Jeff Perlman. And that movie benefited from uh, when when it was being filmed, Back to the Future hadn't come out. Michael J. Fox was just a guy who was on a TV show. By the time that back, uh, Teen Wolf came out, Michael J. Fox had become a star because of Back to the Future. And All the Right Moves kind of the same thing. Like they probably didn't realize, you know, as they were filming that the guy who was going to be the star of this movie was suddenly going to be a, a Hollywood bankroll by the time they released it. So kind of good fortune for this movie. And I think probably good fortune in it being remembered and still getting, you know, watched 30 years later. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think the fact that Tom Cruise was in it, it it allows people to decide they want to watch it again or watch it for the first time. I think that if it was uh, just a random person, 
or an actor who was an 80s actor, like let's say Andrew McCarthy or uh, <laughs> trying to think of some people who've kind of flamed out. Um, people like that probably wouldn't be as watched as much now. On the surface, this movie is really, if you're going to pitch it to someone, it's, oh, it's the high school football movie with Tom Cruise from the 80s. That, that's how you right. pitch it. Right, it's a little more than that. In, like a, in the pitch. But correct, correct. And it was, um, it was kind of, I did a little trivia looking up on this movie. It was basically considered the male version of Flashdance. Flashdance. If a dream comes true just one time, it can change your life for all time. Trying to get out of a steel town in the, the upper north or the, the upper northeast. So it, it was kind of like the same thing. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise just plays a football player. It's that classic sports movie thing, trying to get a scholarship, trying to get out of his town. Fred, for you, is this a Hall of Fame, an all-star, a starter, or a bench warmer sports movie? I think it's a starter. Um, I think that's a fair I, I, assessment. I, I, all-star, it's not enough for an all-star. It's certainly not a Hall of Fame. But it's not bad. It's definitely watchable. If it was on, if it was, there was nothing else on and it was on HBO, I'd definitely keep it on. Yeah, I think All the Right Moves is a lot better on the, than it actually would seem on the surface. If you would have come to me and told me, hey, there's this early 80s high school football movie starring Tom Cruise before he was really famous, it doesn't sound like it's going to be very good. But it was actually an enjoyable watch, and you know, for the purpose of this sports, you know, this podcast, the sports action was actually, you know, fairly up to par. I would say. I think they did a great job with the sports on it. Uh, as much as there was, there was, I mean, I would have liked to seen. They only do like one practice and one game. So, mm-hmm. but the rest of it, but even so, I think it was good the way they did it. Yeah, the plot is pretty sports-driven. A lot of it is driven around his his football future and kind of getting out of that town. But yeah, there's only really one game, but it's a long sports scene. They didn't. Um, it wasn't a brief thing. Ranking the Cruise sports movies, we really didn't get a lot of Tom Cruise in sports. You got this movie, you got Days of Thunder, and then you got Jerry Maguire, where he's not really an, he's not an athlete. He's just an agent. It was kind of a pretty unique sports movie. If if you had to rank those three, the three Tom Cruise sports movies, where does that where do those fall for you? For me, uh, um, Jerry Maguire would be number one. I love that. And then there's this over Days of Thunder. I, I'm not really an auto guy, so I mean I've seen Days of Thunder maybe once. It was a while back. It's not something I, I'm that interested in. Um, I liked. I happen to like this a lot better. Same. Yeah. I'm not really a Days of Thunder guy. And then Jerry Maguire is really a, it's a, in a different class of movie than All the Right Moves and Days of Thunder. Oh, yeah. Jerry Maguire is a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into breaking down the sports action, I just want to read off some of the IMDb trivia on the movie. Um, there's some interesting, you know, interesting notes. And th- this one kind of relates to what we were just talking about with Tom Cruise not being quite as famous when they filmed it. Uh, Leah Thompson and Tom Cruise went undercover to remember what high school was like, and they went to separate schools. And Cruise was spotted after one day. Someone you know recognized him from Taps, but other than that, he wasn't very famous. Uh, Thompson went to f- school four days, was asked out by a few guys, and got caught smoking. Apparently, so Leah Thompson had a lot of fun prepping for this role. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and then uh, you know, like I said earlier, it was considered a male version of Flashdance. 
Uh, it was also the first big role playing a football coach for Craig T. Nelson. He played Coach Nickerson. He would later be uh, become best known to audiences for his character of football coach Hayden Fox on the television series Coach, which I think ran for nine seasons. Uh, he's now known to parents everywhere. I have a five-year-old. He's now known. He, Craig T. Nelson is Mr. Incredible, which is what he's he's better known at now, you know, 30 years after this movie, or almost 40 years after this movie was... Uh, was filmed. And then uh, Tom Cruise suffered a minor concussion during filming. And this movie was actually kind of conscious of the fact that football can chew up and chew you up and spit you out physically. Tom Cruise kind of makes a reference to that. Uh, his character Stefan makes a reference to that during his recruiting visit, which I, I feel like it was a little before its time uh, in terms of it being acknowledged that, hey, uh, you, you want to still be able to walk and talk after you're done playing football. Yeah. Yeah. The recruiting visits. uh, I mean, I think recruiting for players like uh, Tom Cruise's character probably were very, wasn't that uh, unrealistic in the way that they portrayed it on the the movie. Um, I would have to assume that any character who were, was a star recruit would be treated a lot differently. Like if he saw the video on Eric Dickerson's recruitment or uh, that 30 for 30 or that guy from Oklahoma when he got recruited in his 30 for 30, I forgot his name. It was Marcus Dupree. Marcus Dupree. Those guys get treated differently in the recruiting. But uh, I don't yeah, think Stephen that Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise is, yeah, I don't think he was getting treated the same. Before we get into the sports stuff, I want to see what was your favorite scene in the movie. I've got the football game, uh, which is really the only you know the only game in the movie, the only sports scene in the movie besides the practice. I've got the post game where Stefan's dad knocks that guy out, and then uh, oh, yeah. know, just the post game bar, the post game bar scene, which is kind of the classic small town grumbling about the football game, that whole thing. And then, uh, you know, at the end when uh, Stefan gets the scholarship from Coach Nickerson, were there any other scenes that, that stuck out, uh, know, the stood par- out to you? There's the not party. really a whole lot in this movie. Oh, the party the scene. Party. Was so, it was so 80s. It was so 80s. It was- and really, everyone's <laughs> playing quarters, and yeah, it was very 80s. I like the pep rally. It was, it was, it was very high school. They did it pretty well. Um, the gym was very like Northeastern high school rundown gym. Uh, the rally the pep rally in this game. movie in yeah. general really, really gave you those small Pennsylvania high school steel town vibes. Like they, they did that very yeah. well with the pep rally, the game, how they practiced in the mud and in the rain and stuff. The, the movie really brought those vibes to, uh, brought those vibes out. Well, yeah, definitely. What was the most authentic part of this movie to you, sports-wise? The game. I mean, I think what they did during that game was was very good in terms of high school football and just showing a football game. And in, in, it, it's very rare in a sports movie that you're going to see um, just scenes, uh, football game scenes or, or athletic game scenes where just – they're not dramatic. And here they, sh- I would say 60% of the game was just random plays. There was a complete pass. There was a bunch of runs that, that gained no yards. It was just really kind of just really 
looked like a high school game. And they, they didn't have if you if you go to if you do varsity blues or a bunch of other high school football games, there are the it is a lot more professional looking. The uniforms are more professional. The the scenes they, they look more like Moxon they in varsity blues really kind of looked like he was running a college offense. Um, here was the the uniforms were run down. Like they had the stickers in the helmets. The helmets were beaten up. Uh, the uniforms looked like high school uniforms. The game looked like a high school game. Especially with the, back then, those uniforms kind of looked like they were oversized for the player. They, they hadn't had them fitted for every player. The big shoulder pads. You used what they had. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the movie reminded me a lot of the action, at least, remind me a lot of Remember the Titans, which I think is a testament to how well the football game was filmed. Because Remember the Titans came out almost 20 years ago or 20 years after. And there's kind of a sliding scale of how good the sports performance needs to look like obviously a high school football game from the 1980s. The guys don't have to look quite as athletic as like if it was an NFL movie. Now there's that, you know, kind of sliding scale, but it, it, it feels like a high school football game. There's nothing that looks bad, like, like it wouldn't happen. And there's nothing that looks too over the top. I, I thought it was right. a really good mix. It kind of, you know, it felt like you just watched a, a very compressed high school football game. I mean, they definitely played a real game. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. Yeah. Those, those scenes weren't, uh, they played a real game. I mean, and, and except for the parts where, um, the pick where six. they had the, the pick six and the, and the pass interference and the, the final play, um, they played a real game. I think the uh, I do think with him at the end of the game where they didn't have him fall on the ball. God, I can't imagine that happening where they didn't yeah, have that, a that meal. Awful. That's awful. And I mean, we can go into this later on about how it pissed me off. How the, there's two things that pissed me off. One, he coach blamed the running back when he should have fell on the ball. I mean, the, the 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 coach gets all the blame there for not I calling Neil, and then then the coach blaming Georgievich for the PI when they stopped him. I mean, they, and the, <laughs> the PI was super. I think that's the least authentic is him getting pissed about the PI and the PI oh, yeah. being a thing. <laughs> Because the PI was was super inconsequential. Well, it was first and goal from the five anyways. That's an inconsequential PI. It becomes first and goal from the two and a half. It's really almost nothing. And they stopped him. Yeah, they stopped him anyways. For me, that's my least authentic. And, I mean, Stefan acknowledges that he's a short white cornerback, but he says, you know, 5'10 cornerbacks. Tom Cruise is listed at 5'7", 170, which is super generous, I think. He's got to be 5'5", Tom Tom Cruise looks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is very short. Um, he's he's very short, but they, they but they the pass interference call was was so obvious. I mean, he argued it. It was so obvious pass interference, but yeah, it was first and goal. They, they should have if they wanted to blame it on Georgievich, should have been fourth and goal. 
That's what they should have made it. They should have made it a fourth and goal play, and then he would have had a serious gripe with Georgevich. But nevertheless, they still stopped him, and they should have won the game. It was as inconsequential a penalty as possible. Not to mention the fact that they took the lead on Georgevich's pick six, which was a huge play. They were down 10-7 in the fourth quarter. And Georgievich got the pick six to make it 14-10 without that. And it's not like they were moving the ball left and right. I mean, they had the one play from the rifleman to, 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 to shadow the guy, uh, Darius Banning from Cool Running. Cool Runnings. <laughs> <laughs> when, Darius um, Banning. When they, in the practice, in the practice earlier, they, you know, they're showing, they're doing the, uh, the foreshadowing of, you know, the pass interference yeah. is going to be a big deal because the coach is talking to him, but yeah, they make it the most inconsequential penalty possible. There is no pass interference penalty less consequential in football than one when it's first and goal from the five, because yeah. it just becomes, it's a, it's a two and a half yard penalty. There's no loss of downer. I mean, it's just the same. Nothing happened. Right. So I think I think they would have been down there the, in the uh, first place because they would have been down there in the first place. That's what the coach yeah, told me. I think me. that was the biggest short. Yeah, the, the biggest coach shortcoming making, in the, the movie. Coach telling, I mean, it was one of the worst coaching moves, motivational coaching moves. To, no coach does that to, to a yeah. player after he fumbled. Yeah, I want to talk about, I want to have a long talk about Nickerson. I've got a lot of problems with Nickerson. He should never. Uh, it, it was all, I mean, he should be taking the blame from the moment that for, for not falling on the ball. I mean, especially this was, this was four, I think four years, may have been two, two years. It could have been two or four. I don't remember the year of the miracle of the Meadowlands, but ever since the miracle of the Meadowlands, that, I mean, kneeing, falling on the ball was kneeling on the ball is the ultimate no brainer. Uh, at least should have been, and they were on the one. They were on the one. They should have been. Should have taken the hand off and just fell on it. Yeah. When we get into what didn't work, I want to have a long talk about what you think of Nickerson because I've got a lot of thoughts about him as a football coach and his future coaching football at uh, at Cal Poly. But for you, what worked with this movie? What was what was authentic? What felt realistic? What'd you like to see on screen? I like they really made they really made kind of just the the. The, the small town, like we talked about, they really made it look uh, so undesirable to be in the small town. They made it look like the, the yeah, the mining town or the steel town. It, it was just a complete, uh, it, it was, just, it was, it was kind of like a dead end place to be. And football there was important. And it was, it was, I guess it was the, the town was basically a town that was built and kept in uh, b- based totally on the the fact that the company was there and um the football scenes were good the high school really they made it really made it out like it's a i like the high school scenes the typing class was very high school they had a few great players uh probably more than you would normally have on a team with getting scholarships to big schools uh, yeah, you think, think they, they would have gone undefeated team. if they had that many? Yeah. If they had that many D one guys. Guy going to West Virginia. Guy going to Furman. In USC. That guy Riley was the ultimate linebacker leader. Tough Pennsylvania town linebacker. 
uh, Chris Penn's, Brian Riley. Now, what was his recruit? I think he's what. What was his recruiting star? If if he, if he was a recruit now, it's his star ranking. He's going to USC from Pennsylvania. I think he's a four. He's a four star recruit. I think he's a solid four star recruit. I think so too. It's just that no one else was talking to him. I think if if it but, seems but, like uh, no one else was talking to him, he didn't mention anyone else. Well, they didn't talk about it, but I'm sure, I got to assume if USC wants him, Paterno was there. Uh, it, Maybe he got weird vibes from the defensive coordinator. <laughs> Maybe he got weird vibes. Probably, but uh, yeah, but it, it was. I think USC to them was like a good place for him to get out. I don't think Penn State was enough for him, like because they, they they wanted to show. Him and Georgievich wanted to get out of the Seal Town. And USC Hollywood was a great place to show that he was getting out. And then he, he, he took the route. It, 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 that was also something that we could talk about. I mean, like, did he really have to? Did he have to just not play college football? Yeah, he could have gone to Pitt. If USC wants him, there's Pitt right there. There's Penn State. I guess like, he had to support the family. I don't see him just completely st- – yeah, but I still don't see him just completely – because if he was a good enough linebacker where UFC, USC wanted him, like you said, if he yeah, was a four-star, West Virginia. Yes, yeah, one of these other schools would have been like – would have jumped on him and said, hey, you know, we'll help you out. We'll get you housing. Everything will be fine. Yeah, that's Even He's Penn not State. the first guy to have a kid. Maybe he didn't want to bring his kid to Penn State. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he just completely gave it up for a life that he did not want. He wasn't getting out, um, and it was sad. And and what and and Steph knew it. Um, mm-hmm. They had that conversation at the party. Yeah, the com- well, first, yeah, the conversation at the party, and then the, for the conversation at the pep rally when he first told him, uh, mm-hmm. Steph felt really bad. And then um, I think. If you want to get into uh, what I think Steph Georgievich was an easy three star recruit. Um, uh, he could have gone to, I mean, if he was going to Cal Poly, I, I, I have to assume that they're making Cal Poly out to be a D1 team. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, I, he, he could have gone to, Steph could have probably gone to Akron. Well, Boston College was after him. Boston College came to Nickerson's office. Yeah, they wanted to get tape on him. I don't know if they necessarily were down to offer him a scholarship. But a place like Syracuse would have been good for him. I don't know. that Mr. Smith, the guy who recruited him, that was an unnamed school. Yeah, that was a weird scene to me that they just didn't name the school or anything. They didn't, they didn't talk about the school, and they were very deliberate. they were very deliberate with it. Yeah, Georgevich's head got too big for him there. Just told him he didn't want to go there. Wouldn't even visit the campus. You got to take the visit. You got to take the visit. One thing this movie did really well, which like it it just the young, the cast was really loaded, especially considering none of these people really had much of a name for themselves. And for a movie like this to hit on so many people, obviously Tom Cruise becomes a megastar. Uh, Leah Thompson, a couple years later, becomes Lorraine McFly. 
Uh, Chris Penn has a long career, you know, for, you know, he passed away tragically early, but he had, you know, he was in Reservoir Dogs, doing some Tarantino stuff. Uh, Leon, you know, stars in Cool Runnings. Craig T. Nelson has a long career. Terry O'Quinn, who was the recruiter, uh, Mr. You know, Coach Smith or whatever from that college, he ends up having a gig and loss. So it was a lot of notables in this small 1980s high school football movie. So, you know, you I guess you kind of get lucky with how you cast, but bravo, great job by this movie. Yeah, yeah. I I think that... Oh yeah, they had some great casting. I don't remember who uh, did Bosco end up going anywhere, but uh, uh, <laughs> when did you, know, did you look up the Rifleman? Great no, I didn't. I didn't look up the R- Rifleman Shadow. Great quarterback name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, BC wanted him. BC wanted to look at David Riley, even though Riley was committed to SC. Yeah, the guy who played Bosco didn't really do anything else, unfortunately. Not in, not in Hollywood, but he definitely played a great scumbag in this movie. Yeah, he was a very good scumbag. And what was he at the school? He was walking around the school. Was he like, was he like a chef or something? I don't know. What was he at the school? I was going to ask you, was he the... Because he speaks at the pep rally. Was he like the mayor or was he the principal of the, the town? Everyone knew him. I was, he wasn't like a chef because the chef's not going to speak at the, the pep rally. I feel like he was either the principal of the school or the mayor of the town. Right. Um, I don't know what he was. Yeah, yeah, he could have been the mayor of the town. It was really weird just trashing Nickerson's house after he brought – Nickerson probably brought this team to heights that they hadn't been in a while. Um, just because, I mean, and he came up with the, the 68 stack defense, which almost beat a, what was seemed to be a better team in Walnut Heights. He neutralized him, especially the running back Alexander after he had that one touchdown. Well, let's talk about Nickerson. I want to have it. First of all, is Cal Poly, which is, you know, in California, a high school football powerhouse, you know, powerhouse state. Are they coming all the way to Pennsylvania to nab a defensive backs coach. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that's how these guys get their starts. They have a great high school career and then they move on to, to, uh, yeah. I don't know if they're coming all the way down to get Nick. Maybe they heard about him. Where was Nickerson from? Yeah. He was probably from the Northeast based on what, uh, uh the wife told, uh, Lisa when she talked to him, she was from Parkersburg. Parkersburg is West Virginia. um, so he's probably from the Northeast. He's probably a Northeastern guy. How is he going to recruit up there too? Does he have the recruiting contacts? But Nickerson got away with a lot of stuff. Like the when he was pulling on tanks um, and Georgievich's face mask, that stuff would never fly now. Never. I want to ask you, do you think that Nickerson was actually a good coach? Probably was. He probably, he probably got, he got a lot out of his players. The players seem to really, uh, take to him. Um, I think that he, he, he really liked most of his players, except for Georgievich. He did not like, I don't know why he didn't like him at the beginning. Cause Georgievich maybe talked back. Um, uh, I, I didn't get that dynamic why he didn't like him because he appears he didn't like him really from the beginning. And he loved Riley. He loved Tank. He loved Salvucci, even though Salvucci, uh, he blamed the, the game on him. And he got bad for crying, which is, makes no sense. You see that kind of emotion after a lot of games. 
can't cry after the game. You see that all the time. Um, he he just it seemed like he motivated the players well. He probably got the team to heights that they were at for a long time. Although he could never beat Walnut Heights, it was his sixth season, and he couldn't beat Walnut Heights. He only had thirty-seven players. He says that in the locker room. That's small for a high school. The thing I have with Nickerson is everything after the Walnut Heights game. In this movie, it kind of hinges on Nickerson's performance. I guess they paint, they want to paint Nickerson as this, he's a good coach, but he kind of, you know, he screws over Stefan, but he's still a good coach, good guy. But is he really? Because after the game, the coach should take as much fault for that. I mean, we were talking about the the play the basically the, he is a, as much at fault as anyone for calling that run on the goal line when they could have just taken a safety and punted it and everyone is no you know question. everyone in the town is second guessing that play anyways and then he he doesn't take any of the blame he just he gets fucking pissed at his running back who's crying he you know had this passion for the game they lost he's crying and he blames it on him and he tells him he choked when in reality it was Nickerson, and to me that's not a good coach. I think Nickerson's a shitty, selfish coach, and I think it was kind of a mistake by this movie. They should have either had Nickerson go full villain, and it's not a happy ending with him at the end, like you know. And this is something for you mean me. like uh, like like Barcy Blues type. Yeah, yeah, something like that. They should have either gone full full Bud Kilmer or closer to. Uh, Closer to Herman Boone from Remember the Titans, someone who's who's motivating. They could have find it found a different way for him and Stefan to get in an argument after the game and and throw him off the team because that yeah, whole scene him after on the, the Walnut Hill game. Yeah, yeah, that whole uh, Georgevich was a hundred percent right. Agreed. Yeah, and, right, and and his play, his teammates knew it. Everyone, everyone had respect for him after, like uh, mm-hmm. like Shadow. Um, Darice, <laughs> Darice Bannock. <laughs> uh, uh, he he slapped him. He knew. Um, Vasalvucci knew. Yeah, Nickerson wasn't a very good coach. I didn't think uh, he probably was a good coach. He just he just didn't have like in terms of tactical and motivating his players to win. Because they, they were interested in winning and every they took took it seriously. That bus ride, the tension on the bus ride, nobody talked. I thought his pregame speech was good. I thought the speech was good. Yeah. But you need a good speech to be a good coach. Yeah, you need a good speech, especially in the movies, too. Oh yeah. He, he had one another 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 short staff team. He had one assistant, looked like. That one guy who was talking Him about and Coach Jess. Yeah, Coach Jess. Coach Jess. It was just them, t- those two. Yeah, did who called the offensive plays? It was Nickerson. Was Nickerson called the offensive plays? And yet he's a defensive backs coach for Cal Poly. Yeah, he came up with the offense and the defense. He's just a jack of all trades, Nickerson. Uh, the one thing that really worked was realistic. Was after that game, the entire town questioning the play call. Yeah, of course. Like the you know everyone's in the bar being like, "Oh, they should have just taken the safety or they should have." And I mean, in us watching this movie, what an idiotic play call. And the most disappointing part is that Nickerson just doesn't take ownership of it. it stinks. It, it was unbelievable how careless he was about it, too. What are you doing? And he never really Yeah, and he never really there's no moment of 
redemption for Nickerson, really. Yeah, at the end, he brings Stefan the scholarship, but it's more like, hey, I'm sorry, I ruined your chance at, at being recruited. I turned down Boston College for you, which would be you know great for you because it's very close to, to where you live. I'm giving you the scholarship just to make myself feel better. That wasn't really a happy ending to me. I, I needed some more comeuppance for Nickerson. He's just like, oh, I've got this job. You take the scholarship. We're, we're even, right? Like, really, no. He did a lot of bad things. Yeah, I mean... He, he, he had no other choice, George. He had he took away all of his options. The only option George Rich had was to go to Cal Poly. He didn't even get to visit or anything. Um, he doesn't even know the head coach. Bet you Stephen George Rich had no idea who the head coach of Cal Poly was. No, and you don't know what his playing time situation. He did basically. Nickerson took his future, took Stephen's future out of his hands, and then and gave him a little crumb afterwards. For really no reason. So that's kind of, I think, the worst part about this movie, in my opinion. They could have, what they should have done, we, we figured out what they should have done. First of all, during the gameplay, it should have been, it should have been at least, it should have been either fourth and goal from the six with the pass interference, or it could have been third and 10 from the 20 with the pass interference. But that, there should have been a, a minute 45 left. After that, and um, they have two timeouts. Then they would have had to hand off the ball to Salvucci. Mm-hmm. It- then he would have fumbled. Then it would have been more realistic for him to blame it on Salvucci for choking. It's a pretty quick fix. I think you're right in yeah, that. It's yeah. a very it, quick it, fix. They could have blamed it on Salvucci for the choking if he would have fumbled. Because then they could have tried to run out the clock for the for the best of the bar, then punt and try to stop again. But so they would have had the pass interference on fourth and goal, which they wouldn't have got down there, and if it wasn't for the pass interference, and then they they yeah then they stop them. Then Salvucci fumbles with a minute thirty left. So uh, instead of having them get the ball back, Wallen Heights getting the ball back down four with 30 seconds left after the punt, they would have got back the ball. I mean, it wasn't like – it was like two seconds left after that. All they do is fall on the ball once. It's the biggest choke in high school history, not calling that play. And then what's his name says that Stefan – the guy at the bar has the nerve to tell Stefan's dad that Stefan cost him the game, the drunk guy at the bar. We punch. That's one of my favorite scenes of the movie, though, is that dad, Stephen's dad, knocking that guy out. How in the world did Stephen cost him the game? Yeah. There's two people cost him the game. Fumble and the coach for not calling the fumble. For not for not calling the, the – the, the, it was unbelievable. How does the players not even overrule that? Yeah, it was bad. Like when he called it, the players should be like, what are you talking about? Let's fall on it. How did Cal Poly hire Nickerson after that? Like, dude, that they got to be like, man, that's fucking common sense. You blew that game. We're not hiring you from the high school ranks after that. If you're a high school head coach to get into college, you need to be flawless. And Nickerson absolutely was not. Yeah, and who's he recruiting, Nickerson? I've got so many questions about why Cal Poly. Was there no one else in California or Oregon or Washington, no high school football coaches worthy of that job? Really surprises me. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Salvucci real quick. What a character arc this guy has. Uh, he he essentially commits like sexual harassment 
in the beginning of the movie and uh, gets his gets his dick crushed in a desk, which is a tough look. Uh, he fumbles the ball away, and then he gets arrested for armed robbery, and you never really hear anything of him again besides that toast at the party. You just assume that he's doing hard time in prison. Really tough movie for Salvucci. Yeah, I mean, well, he was... I, I didn't like him. He, he, he blew up a tank for no reason during the... Uh, you can tell he's rough around the edges. I mean, he blew up a tank for no reason um for the game yeah I, I wasn't sure he was armed robbery rough around the edges though that's a that's a whole yeah, different yeah. level of rough around the edges i mean he needed to make, he needed to make money for his, his family and coach coach while he loved salvucci he apparently loved him he was real tough on him and he didn't even consider even even introducing him to the boston college guy now he could have i mean he could have at least tried to get him uh, a scholarship to a smaller school. Obviously, he wasn't big school material. Material, yeah. Right. the The thing with Nickerson, with him giving Stefan the scholarship at the end, it's kind of like a, oh well, I actually I failed Salvucci, and what happened to him is what's going to happen to Stefan unless I help. But he did nothing. I don't think Nickerson cares enough for his players to be a good coach. I'm really just here on this podcast just to to kind of shit on the character of Coach Nickerson. I thought Craig T. Nelson did a good job with what he was given. It wasn't like I thought he did a bad job. But the coach, of it, it's just a very complicated character that I don't think, I think the movie could have fleshed that out a little bit better. And like I said, go either full villain or go better guy. And I think it, the movie comes out better. He's a typing teacher too. I, I don't know if nowadays you have to, the coaches all have to be like faculty at the school. I don't know if high school football head coaches. I remember my high school, the coach was definitely a teacher and it was similar to, he had a class similar to, to typing like where he doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's I want to get into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. I have three nominees and then you can get me with anyone else you're thinking. Uh, Mel Winkler is coach coach Covington, the other assistant coach. Uh, Chris Penn is Brian Riley. Chris Penn was only 18 when this movie uh, came out. And then Charles oh, wow. Kioffi as pop as, as Stefan's dad. Oh, I liked him. Uh, I liked. I mean, I, I thought what's his name should have gotten a little bit more runtime. Rifleman? No, the rifleman, the quarterback. Is, yeah, yeah. Is, is he has he been in anything else? Uh no, no, not really. I, I looked at his IMDb. Not, not really a whole lot. <laughs> I wonder what he. I wonder if he still notices the rifleman these days. Yeah, it was. Uh, you Walter, should get the rifleman on the follow up. Walter Briggs. Uh, Walter's three acting credits. Quick note on Walter Briggs, who Fred and I are discussing, played the quarterback, the rifleman. Fred hit me up after we recorded and found a recent article about Walter and his wife, Deborah. Walter's had some ups and downs since all the right moves. He had a stint in the NFL, but was also briefly homeless after losing his job in 2006. But now he and his wife, Deborah, focus on their charitable foundation, Deborah's Journey for Life, which helps finance holistic treatments and stem cell transplants for ALS patients, of which Deborah is one herself. This isn't really relevant to the podcast in any way. I just felt like it was something important that Walter Briggs is doing and something better to be known for than a few IMDb credits. So I just wanted to uh, to plug that in there. Now let's get back to the podcast. 
All the Right Moves in 1983 as The Rifleman. And then in 2016, he was in a short film. And in 2018, he was in another short film. So he's really spaced it out. Oh, The Rifleman, what a player. Um, yeah, I liked Riley. I mean, I thought he was a... I mean, I, I he gave up pretty quick. He did. I mean, like, they could have... I mean, I guess that's what you got to do is what you got to do. You got to support your family. There was no GoFundMe. Um, I liked what you said, that Riley could have found a, a local place to play. It wasn't like USC is the only yeah, college was, in the world. Like, he could have played it, you know, the lo- even in, like, a local D2, it. like a close D2 or something. But I... Th- he wouldn't have got a scholarship. Yeah. But he was, Pitt. Pitt. Yeah, why not go to Pitt and play? But you don't make any money. Yeah, if you're a USC recruit. But, I mean, I feel like the school, if he's a four-star recruit that USC Yeah, they they give him housing for the family. Yeah, they would have have worked around it. Yeah, she she could work. He could probably have find a way to get his kid child care for four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was a better... This movie really did the, the high school and high school sports movie the the kind of the sports movie trope of an unplanned pregnancy will ruin your career. It, this one really hit and that. And there's so many unplanned pregnancies um, for players now. Yeah, it's like, I, th- I mean, I'll be honest, like when I was in college, had an unplanned pregnancy, things turned out fine. <laughs> but but for Brian Riley, nope. It, it They basically like sealed the, sealed the deal for him that he's going to be stuck in that town forever. It's a very sad scene at the party when uh, when Stefan yeah. is talking to him. But I thought Chris Penn did a really good job. It was kind of a harbor of things to come for him. Um, he was really young, and then yeah, I think yeah. you know Reservoir Dogs was about a decade after this, which is my favorite. Well, he Chris had a nice Penn in. Movie. He had a nice in. I mean, Sean Penn was already in Hollywood at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a very good point. But yeah, he'd be my uh, my pinch hitter. Although I thought the guy who played. Uh, Stefan's dad, Charles Kioffi, that's C-I-O-F-F-I, murdering that name. Uh, I thought he did a good job. Did you have a big chill for this He was like, what was was his name? Yugoslavia. He was like some sort of Yugoslavian name. I think he was Serbian. I think uh, Stefan was supposed to be a Serbian Serbian American. Uh, Okay. Okay. Did you have a big chill for this movie? What do you mean? <laughs> the, like the, the chill-inducing moment. Uh, for the, I didn't really have one for this movie. The only moment, this isn't chill-inducing, but the only moment that I'm like, this is really a great moment or this this got, is when Cruz is laying into Nickerson after he sees him and his wife at that diner. I think that's just when you really see like, hey, this Tom Cruise guy really has something. Like you see Jerry Maguire very good in the future. Tip, nice, like one of his... Pro Tom Cruise spazzes. Mm-hmm. He, Tom Cruise would have like these moments where he gets real mad, and he gets up for like a huge, like kind of like a spaz type ordeal. He did it in uh, Cocktail, uh, like when they were like, and then he goes, you didn't, "It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way." Like at the end, <laughs> when he gets to a fight. Yeah, it's kind of like the "Help me, help you" moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, like that. Or there was um. Top Gun. Well, you think I'm wrestle- reckless? I just want you to know when I fly, my crew comes first. When she tells him she fell for him, uh, he has a lot of these. I'm sure he has one. I can't recall in Rain Man, which is like very Tom Cruise 80s great movie. Tom Cruise can really do a monologue, and that's what he does here when he's laying yeah. at Nickerson and kind of just basically 
talking him down, just talking shit to Nickerson about how he he's really so screwed right. over. Yeah, yeah he cr- he crushes it. I mean, Tom Cruise carries this movie. I mean, he's really young, but he's he's Tom Cruise. He's really good. He's always been really good, and I, I he's kind of the backbone of this movie. When they when they did it, I think they knew they had some someone great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and lucky for them, they released it after Risky Business, so they had someone great yeah. that everybody else knew was really great. Yep. I, I, I bet you could attribute half the, mo- half the money this movie made to Risky Business being successful. Right, right. It was just huge. Fred, how would you improve this movie? If, if someone gave you the keys to the car and you say, okay, well, you, I, you can make some changes and all the right moves what would you do to make this a better sports movie? I would get put more, I would put more into the season. Um, there was just one game and one practice. They could have, uh, they could have gone to the state title. He came back. They could have gone, they could have gone to the playoffs and then maybe had one more game or at least shown like a montage of the rest of the season. Or they could have done a little bit more at the beginning of the season of him doing well. There was just a lot of like dead time devoted to the romance with him and the um, him and Leah Thompson, which was fine. It was very that kind of made it a little slower. I agree. I agree. I would have just liked to have seen them make it a definitive. Okay, Nickerson's a really he's a good guy, but he just makes a mistake throwing him off the team. And it's a really it's a, a truly good thing when he gets him to play for you know Cal Poly. Like he, you know, he basically says, I really want you not, he doesn't do the thing. I'm just doing it to make myself feel better. That kind of thing. Or Nickerson's a legit villain. And Tom Cruise actually ends up with the coach who recruited him in the beginning of the movie. And that guy was actually sure where there was a spot for him. And he realizes that's actually the right school for him. It's, you know, maybe it's close. He gets to stay with Leah Thompson. Uh, You know, that, that sort of thing. Right. Right. Or he beats, uh, he could have beat Cal Poly at the end. Like they could have had like a college scene where yeah, he, that would have been he awesome. the winning tackle against Cal Poly. So my last question for you on this movie, where is, where's coach Nickerson? How high does he get up the coaching chain? Is Cal is the DB coach at Cal Poly. Is that eventually his best job? Do you think he gets hired? Do you think he has to go back to high school? What do you think? He's pretty hungry. I think he goes, I, I think he gets a head coaching job. He gets. He starts out at. Uh, I think he's pretty hungry. I mean, you got look. To me, every college football coach, they're they're all assholes. They're not. I feel like they all have this. If you're going to be a college football coach, I think that there's a point like you. You kind of have to just. It's like a meat factory. You're you're trying to take in players and you push them out if they stink. And you want to give someone else a player. Like, it's just like uh, you, you, when you're recruiting players, you promise a guy a scholarship and then at the end you pull it. Or like you, you string people along. Like, you just have to be kind of like an asshole. And everyone's had their asshole moments. I bet you Nick Saban's had his asshole moments back when he was a high school coach and he was a college coach at like whatever, Kent State or whatever. Um, I, think that, I think that he becomes, uh, he, he, gets, he, he gets a job. Uh, he starts at Cal Poly um, as DB's coach. He learns the recruits. He learns to recruit up there in Cal Poly. He gets a job at San Jose State, maybe as the head coach, San Diego State, and um, and then maybe he gets uh, pulled back in uh, as a head coach at Pitt. 
I think he stays. I mean, I think he's got that personality. He's got the college coach personality. Become a great college coach. I agree. I think he's hungry like that. But I think he gets the reputation of a guy who's really good with the X's and O's. You know, one of these hot new young young ish head coach. You know, head coach potentials. He eventually gets a head coaching job at a at a decent school, maybe even a little better than in San Jose State or something. Like he's a he's a good defensive coordinator somewhere. He gets like the Oregon State job. And then it comes out that he just cannot recruit, he can't bring in talent, and he gets relegated to being a coordinator for the rest of his career. Well, he could be a good recruiter. Like he he talks a good game. He's pretty charming in the way he talks. Could he could be talk like if you look at guys like Urban Meyer. There, I, I bet you there's a laundry list of people, players, who got chewed out by Berman Meyer and kind of pushed away. Probably weren't good enough or whatever, or they just didn't do enough for him, and, and they hate him. He was a real successful coach. Uh, I mean, he could be that kind of like that. That's true, yeah. yeah just Urban, Urban, and Urban Meyer's made some – Urban Meyer's had some pretty crappy uh, – in his spotty, very spotty times – um, it, it was, they're rare, but it's happened. Where Urban Myers just called a terrible game. Like, remember against Mich- the, the team, they were destined to win the championship in 2015, and um, they had they had just come off that national championship, and they had a great team. And then against Michigan State, they didn't hand off the ball as Ezekiel Elliott the last fourth the fourth quarter. And they lost at, uh, to a clearly inferior Michigan State team using their backup quarterback, and they didn't even make the, the college football playoff because of that loss. I mean, it was just like some 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 spotty that like like they can make mistakes, even though he's had he's only lost like twenty games in his career. Yeah, I could see Nickerson as that kind of that guy who will do anything to succeed and anything to get that, that yeah. job he wants. He will throw anyone under the bus if he needs to. Exactly. I mean, you could see it right there. He threw George under the bus. The only way he, he learned from his ways is that, first of all, his wife had to talk some sense to him. And then after, after Lisa came in and became pals with his wife, and then, and then Georgevich actually had to tell him how big of a dick he was being. He's not God. He's just a typing teacher. Yeah. Well, he's going to – Nickerson, I think, over the course of his career, is going to get needed, need to be knocked down a peg like uh, like Georgevich did quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably moves on to defensive coordinator over at Poly. He may take over for the uh, coach who gets fired at Cal Poly. Yeah, he's just got to – he's got to build the recruiting base. Builds the recruiting base. Maybe he moves on, moves on to – Back to his roots, gets gets hired at Pitt. He probably knows the area there, the high school coaches there, and knows the high school coaches over in, uh, in in California too. So he's 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 able to bring guys maybe to to Pitt, or he could go to Ohio State. A lot of a lot of possibilities for Coach Nickerson. But as for uh, for all the right moves, he did what he had to. At least he got stuff in that scholarship in the end. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, talking about this movie with me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Where can the no, people love follow it. you on uh, on social media? Okay, at Old Takes Exposed on Twitter, um, and Freezing Cold Takes on Instagram. The uh, the the number one account to follow in sports if you're a sports fan on on Twitter and Instagram. 
But uh, Fred, thanks again for coming on. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Let me know. Um, you know, let me know what movies you'd like to see covered. Let me know what you're thinking of this episode. Let me know what you're thinking of past episodes. And we'll catch you next Thursday. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.